Yeah, the Oscar doesn't like head scratchers. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> like the statuette itself? Like the little gold man he hates getting his head scratched? Yeah, his name's Oscar, right? Oh. <laughs> Welcome to another episode, a special episode of Screen Fix. This is our Oscars fix extravaganza. They might call them the best, but we're going to fix them just like the rest. All right. Okay, everyone. <laughs> That's bad. The Oscar nominees have come out. We're going to give you our snubs, and then we're going to dive right in, and we are going to have the audacity <gasps> to provide one fix for each of the Best Picture nominees. I am host JC. With me, as always, is co-host that carries the show, Lady One. Say hi to everybody. Hello, everyone. And coming to us live via satellite, my Oscars. My little Oscar statue. <laughs> my own little bearded oscar statue mustachio we used to have the throwdownest that is super not a word the most glamorous oscar parties they were we really would glamorous. have oscar pick'em sheets we would have drinks we would have theme dishes mm-hmm. there was a lot of hullabaloo uh, about it there's also a lot of confusion with how how you always won for most number of Oscar wins. Yes. How you do it. I think you've released that information on a previous episode. I did release that information. I have a system. I forget and every time. I will blog about my system on filmdocinema.com. I will. I swear. I promise. So You have to now because you just said it. I Yes, I do. That's the same way we got that Captain Marvel soundtrack, as you said it on this episode. <laughs> made Which, you do it. I love it. that, by the way. Y'all included the four non-blondes. That was a great Yes, episode. yes. What's going on? I would be confused, too, if I dropped into a blockbuster. I'd be like, what's going on? What's yeah. going on? Let's go ahead and read off some of these Oscar nominees. This Oscars, though, not without its controversy this year. There was the most popular film category that they tried to throw out for a hot minute, and everybody was like, that's dumb. They immediately were like, oh no, we're not going to do that. JK, JK. Then, of course, there was the the Kevin Hart fiasco. Mm -hmm. He was pegged to host the show, but they've unearthed some old homophobic tweets of his. Oscars was up there. Oscars was one of the highest of highs simply because there hasn't been a lot of African-American comedians that have been able to do it. I would have been the fourth. So to get the moment, celebrate the moment. Oh my God, I can't believe it's happened. And then the next morning, after a day full of congratulations and celebrations, I'm hit with an onslaught on social media of my past coming back up again. He was like, I've apologized for those before. This this isn't new. I've addressed it. I've apologized for it. I'm not going to pay it any mind. I'm not going to apologize again. I'm not doing this show. And they're like, okay, fine. Nobody's doing the show. They're like, forget it. They're <laughs> not going to have like a host. A not- <laughs> no one's getting any candy. There's no host. They're also, there's a bit of buzz right now about the fact they've only announced two music performances because they're trying to shorten the show keep it under three hours and they think that maybe by cutting back on the musical performances that might help out but isn't that kind of a highlight of it no yeah i mean what am i watching otherwise they should just give out like multiple awards at once and then have more musical performances they should just do best actor and best actress have them both win come up at the same time and act in a little skit together yeah definitely impromptu like like yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's what the oscars needs more improv (laughs) yeah exactly they probably could use some improv because those cue card jokes are bad oh they're terrible it's been a great 
year for lesbians. That's right. Not just in general, but in movies. The kids are all right. Lesbians. Black Swan. Dancing lesbians. Toy Story 3. Where's the dad? Uh, so there was that. But also there's a more controversy this year as not one of the best director nominees is a female. Lady Juan, would you like to weigh in? <sighs> I was not surprised at all. The Oscars can only handle like a little bit of a course correction. They're like, you guys complained that it was so white. So we nominated Black Panther. But, you know, they just forgot about ladies. It's fine. It's fine. We don't matter. It's not a big deal. Ridiculous. <laughs> Obviously. There were some great films this year that were directed by women, too. Josie Rourke directed Mary, Queen of Scots. Mariel Heller directed Can You Ever Forgive Me, which Melissa McCarthy is nominated for a Best Actress Award for. Karen Kusama directed Destroyer, the the Nicole Kidman movie, one of my Oscar snubs. Mimi Leader directed On the Basis of Sex. And so on and so forth. There have been great films this year directed by women. It is ridiculous that not one was deemed worthy of a Best Director nomination. We feel strongly about that at Screen Fix. It's bullshit. So let's talk about who is actually nominated real quick. I'm going to read off the best picture, best actor, best actress, and then we're going to move on so we don't spend too much time on this. The best picture nominees this year were Black Klansman, Black Panther, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite, Green Book, Roma, A Star is Born, and Vice. And our best director Oscars are Alfonso Cuaron for Roma, Spike Lee for Black Klansman, Adam McKay for Vice, Powell Polakowski for Cold War, and Yorgos Lanthimos for The Favorite. Best Actor, Christian Bale for Vice, Bradley Cooper for A Star is Born, Willem Dafoe at Eternity's Gate, Rami Malek, Bohemian Rhapsody, Viggo Mortensen, Green Book, and then we've got Best Actress, Yalitza Aparicio for Roma, Glenn Close, The Wife, Olivia Colman, The Favorite, Lady Gaga, A Star is Born, and Melissa McCarthy, Can You Ever Forgive Me? So, out of those, Mustachio, do you have a snub? What's your top Oscar snub this year? Oh, yeah, for an actress, I would say Toni Collette for her work in Hereditary. Toni Collette was amazing in Hereditary. Right? That was an acting tour de force. It was amazing. And what a waste. If it could have maybe brought us together or something. If you could have just said, I'm sorry, or faced up to what happened, maybe then we could do something with this. But you can't take responsibility for anything. So now I can't accept and I can't forgive because because nobody admits anything they've done. Yeah, like all the ranging of emotions. Lady Juan, what is your biggest Oscar snub? Why don't you lay it on us? So I have two because I'm difficult. (laughs) (laughs) My first one, even though we just complained about all the men who are nominated for for Best Director, is um, Bone Burnham for Eighth Grade. Oh, shit. Like, I thought he did a really fantastic job directing that. Uh, I loved that movie. So I would put him in there. And then this is a real reach, but like best adapted screenplay for Infinity War. Like that's an accomplishment in filmmaking to put all of that together. I would give them that. Kid, you're an Avenger now. It's a reach, I know, but I'm into it. Somebody respond to me. No, it's, it's true. It's a... Best adapted screenplay. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an incredible. It is a huge complaint. It's it's the 
pulling together s- stories from 20 different movies and doing it in the way that they did it in a way that was surprising, mm-hmm. subversive, funny, mm-hmm. emotional. It was it was amazing. That's a great snub. Yeah. What do you got for snubs, JC? Uh, one of my biggest snubs is not nominating Elsie um, Fisher for Best Actress, which is from eighth <sighs> grade as well. Like, I could be doing nothing, and I'm just nervous. It's like, um... It's like I could, I'm waiting in line for like a roller coaster and that stupid like butterflies in your stomach feeling you get, like I get that all the time and then I never get the feeling of after you ride the roller coaster. And I, I try really hard not to feel that way, um, but I don't know, I just can't. Ugh. Oh yeah. Uh, Bo Burnham and Elsie Fisher together I thought made an absolutely amazing team. I thought that 8th grade could have been this year's um, Lady Bird. I thought it was every bit as good but it was overlooked and I'm uh, upset about that a little bit. It was so it was good. Such a... Everybody should go watch it. It was great and it really did capture a particular generation's voice. I hope they make their next movie ninth grade and it's uh, very good. <laughs> They'll have to make it fast. She was actually in eighth grade. <laughs> she was. Yeah, she was uh, outstanding. So, okay, so those are our snubs. Why don't we go ahead and let's dive right into our fixes. One for each of the Oscar-nominated films. Let's go ahead and start out with Green Book. Yeah. Some guy called over here, a doctor. He's looking for a driver. You interested? I am not a medical doctor. I'm a musician. I'm about to embark on a concert tour in the Deep South. What other experience do you have? Public relations. Green Book, directed by Peter Farrelly of Bobby and Peter Farrelly fame, the duo that has brought us There's Something About Mary and all of those goofy movies from the 90s, those gross-out movies. Doing something serious here, obviously, nominated for an Academy Award. The story of Tony Lip, who's an Italian-American bouncer who becomes a driver for an African-American classical pianist named Dr. Don Shirley. They are touring venues throughout the 1960s American South and learning lessons about each other and about how the races can get along. So I'm going to go ahead and take this first one. And this is what I have to say about Green Book. Because you're the only one who saw it. You're the only one that studied <laughs> the Green Book. I'm glad none of you saw this movie. It's not... It's not bad. It's just, are we still doing these like white sympathetic character helps the black man movies? I don't really get this. Why we still need this. Boy. This movie never wants to get that dirty. It's so safe that I can't believe it was nominated for anything. And I think it's because the movie was co-written by Tony Lip's son. <laughs> I know Dr. Don Shirley's family condemned the movie. Yeah. Quote, this movie, The Green Book, is not about my brother, but about money, white privilege, assumption, and Tony Lip. Burn. Green burn. <laughs> Green burn. I don't even know what that means. In fact, another relative of Shirley's said that her family is boycotting the film due to the implicit and explicit affronts we have endured while critics have hailed the film for artistic brilliance and its timely juxtaposition to the rise in hate crimes. This movie had such vastly different reactions. There were reviews that were like, this is the movie we need right now. And then there's other reviewers like Monique Judge, who writes for The Root, who said, it's definitely problematic in that it seems to gloss over the true horrors of the Jim Crow South and just how bad it was for blacks who traveled through and lived there. Here's my fix. The lead in this movie is Viggo Mortensen's character, Tony Lip. He's the least compelling part of this movie. The more compelling part is 
Dr. Don Shirley. Dr. Don Shirley is a classically trained pianist who's traveling the South in 1962, not because he has to, but because he wants to. Mm. He's the real person who is showing courage yeah. in this film, and he's a much more compelling character. Tony Lip making jokes about fried chicken. Good people love the fried chicken. And punching people out. He's a side character. The real hero in this film is Dr. Don Shirley. And if this film had been told from his point of view, it would have been much better. This movie has a very high rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes is something like, I think the last number that came out a couple years ago was like, it's 80-something percent white male critics. Yeah, that, uh. that tracks. Yeah, so... That's who's in charge of everything. <laughs> Next we have, so I was the only one that saw Green Book. Lady Wan is the only one who saw Vice. Yeah. The vice presidency is a mostly symbolic job. Uh -huh. However, if we came to a uh, different understanding. Vice, directed yeah. by Adam McKay, who apparently is now a big-time historical biopic director after, yeah. uh, after last year's The Big Short, and now Vice, starring Christian Bale, Steve Carell, Amy Adams, Sam Rockwell. Christian Bale plays Dick Cheney. This movie follows his story as he is in political office. Why don't you lay this one on us? Give us your fix for Vice. Lady Wan, go. So I just want to say this is like a fantastic movie. It made me so depressed. <laughs> oh, good. It, I walked out of the theater going, why do I even vote? Like, why, why do I try? Why, exactly. why do I care about anything? It's, it's wild. Like, it, it is Dick Cheney's life from when he was like an alcoholic in Wyoming, like dropping out of college all the way through till, you know, now. Until he controlled the world. <laughs> it's insane to see how long this plot was in motion. It is devastating to learn how long this has been in the works. It's a really <laughs> great movie, though. The performances are excellent. You actually buy Steve Carell as Donald Rumsfeld. It it happens. So it's really great. It's definitely an Adam McKay movie. It is his style. It's intercut with news footage. It's got talking heads and interviews. It's uh, sorry, let me start that over. It's intercut with news footage. He's got like some people addressing the camera, some as a straight narrative. It's it's really interesting. It's a really, really well done movie. But there's a bit of a weird thing in it that I would like to fix is we've got actual news footage throughout this movie. It's constantly kind of placing you in time and you're following his career along. But then there's also Naomi Watts as, you know, generic blonde Fox News-esque anchor. And she's uncredited in the movie, but it's, you know, Naomi Watts. People know who she is. But yeah. it's presented like real news footage, but it's not. And I, I find that to be really <laughs> jarring that I'm like, wait, what? No, that's not real because... Because it's Naomi Watts. <laughs> yeah, it also, it ruins the like impact of the real news footage being used to intercut it with fake oh, it's weird. news talking heads. Like Bill O'Reilly is in there. No. We'll do it live! You know, trumpeting the the policies of the Bush White House. And then you have Naomi Watts commenting and it, it totally ruins it for me. You didn't know that Naomi Watts was doing news now? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It was a weird way of inter interspersing fake news footage with real news footage. Like there wasn't news footage you could use, not a fake one with Naomi Watts, with uncredited right. Naomi Watts. Right. I'm sure Greta Van Susteren said something equally offensive. <laughs> <laughs> 
Like, yeah. what are we doing? That's like bad too. Like, if the news report Naomi Watts is giving never existed too, then it also starts to feel a little bit sketchy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, we have no news report that directly says this, so let's make mm-hmm. one with Naomi Watts right. and slide it in. Yeah. So that's, I could have done without that. That's a good fix. Take that out. Naomi Watts, you doing in there? <laughs> Yes. Find me. <laughs> Somebody do. Next up, we've got Bohemian Rhapsody. You need to slow down, Fred. I just need a bit of time. Because if I don't have time. Uh, directed by child molester Brian Singer. Also brought in to clean up after he left the film, Dexter Fletcher, who is not credited for the film in the Oscar nominations. The story of the band Queen. Story in air quotes. The quote unquote story of Queen. Starring Rami Malek as... Freddie Mercury. <laughs> Larger than life wow. singer Freddie Mercury. And then some other fools as the rest of the cast. <laughs> Including the kid from Jurassic Park. And the kid from Jurassic Park <laughs> and other people. So I did totally do that during the show. Like <laughs> He not only plays the bass, he likes dinosaurs and paleontology. Okay, tell me what they are. Gala. Uh, Gallimimus. We already fixed this one, so listen in on one of our favorite fixes for Bohemian Rhapsody. Put that clip in. So early on in the movie, we see our young bag thrower, Freddie, heading out for a night to go see the band play. As he's leaving, he tells his parents he's correcting them. Uh, no, it's Freddie now. But that's... Like, not really how this worked, which is going to be a recurring theme of our fixes today. What do you think, JC? Yeah, there are so many amazing aspects to Queen and their actual story mm-hmm. that were all left out yeah. to tell a contrived paint-by-numbers, screenplay-class type biopic story. Yeah, just like a real meh version of... Uh... An incredible story. So in actuality, he had been going by Freddie for years, like since boarding school. And we also get in the movie where his parents are doing the typical parent thing and brings a girlfriend over. So here's a photo album from when he's a little kid. And we see that he boxed in school. When he was in school, he boxed, he sang in the choir, he played piano, he participated in the visual arts. He won an award for being a quote all rounder because he was multi-talented and like pretty much any he did and Freddie even said about going to boarding school that he didn't see his parents that often and that helped him a lot as he learned to fend for himself and like that's the story I want to see to start things off is I want to see like little boarding school boxing Freddie I want to see this kid who is like talented on the piano and has this incredible voice but can also like kick your ass because if kids are making fun of him he's not going to put up with that so I think that would have not only helped explain all of his talent 
Alan in mannerisms later, but it gives him some more backstory and character development that the movie just like gets real lazy about. Yeah, and it's interesting you brought up boxing because they could have really played that up to be how he's always been competitive and having to fight for everything that he has had. Kind of like how defeating his opponents in the ring was kind of like him always having to defeat all of his perceived opponents in life. And also with the Live Aid performance, like he wanted to be the best Mm -hmm. band there. Yeah. You could have tied that whole competitiveness, that fighting spirit into a lot of different aspects of of his life. Yeah. That fix was a knockout. (laughs) Next up, we've got Black Klansman, a Spike Lee joint. Hello, this is Ron Stallworth calling. Who am I speaking with? This is David Duke. Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. That David Duke? Last time I checked. What can I do you for? Well, since you asked, I hate blacks. Uh, Starring John David Washington, son of Denzel, Adam Driver, Laura Harrier, Topher Grace, and uh, others. The story of a a cop guy. (laughs) (laughs) The story of a cop guy. Detective? Set in the 1970s in Colorado, uh, he is a detective who infiltrates uh, the local chapter of the Ku Klux Klan by phone, and then he has to send in his Jewish co-cop. What is his Jew- <laughs> Another detective. His Jewish. <laughs> What's a co-cop? <laughs> he has to send in his Jewish partner. This is entertaining. Adam Driver, putting him in immense danger. All right, Black Klansman. I'm going to go ahead and take this one. Black Klansman. This one is actually the movie that we need, not Green Book. Maybe don't congratulate yourselves on how we're post-racism mm-hmm. when all of these problems are still huge. Oh, yeah, for sure. The final thing that the movie shows is a tribute to the woman who was hit by the car and died. In Charlottesville. Which is very strong indeed to show. It's so upsetting. So I like this movie a lot. I liked the changes they made from the real life story for the most part. Like having him date a college activist and changing his partner to Jewish. Some of the stuff at the end where his partner gets exposed. That was a great piece of tension. The part where the bomb goes off and accidentally kills two of the KKK members. I liked all those changes. There was one change that I didn't like, though, from the actual true story. So in this movie, they kind of change up the beginning of the investigation. Mm. They have Ron Stallworth coming in as a new cop, the first black cop on the force. And he looks like he's really there to shake things up. He picks up the phone with confidence, calls the KKK himself, seems to be very sure of what he's doing. It definitely seems like to have a plan or an agenda of some sort. But in real life, Ron Stallworth saw an ad for the KKK in the paper and he mailed into them and they called him, which surprised him. In his book, he says, quote, The simple answer is I was not thinking of a future investigation when I mailed the note. I was seeking a reply, expecting it would be in the form of literature, such as a pamphlet or brochure of some kind. All in all, I did not believe my efforts would have any traction beyond a few mundane, auto-mailed responses. So when he's called, he's taken off guard. He's surprised. And on the fly, he actually does make up 
what he says in the the movie he says that his sister is dating a black man and how the idea of the of this black guy touching his sister makes him sick or makes him angry and the kkk person said to him quote you're just the kind of guy we want and this whole thing just kind of fell into his his lap and fell into the lap of the the police force when he decided to just keep going along with it so i like this idea of getting thrust into a world that you didn't expect to be in like it's just kind of falls into your lap and everything is kind of you winging it and you end up a little bit in over your head and i think that lends itself better to the ending with the getting exposed and the the whole bomb explosion and uh, all of those kind of things i think having it start from the auspicious beginning makes it a bit more dramatic and a bit more tense. And I think that's the only change that I really would do. Mustachio, we have up next The Favorite. If I were a man, I would ravish you. (laughs) You have become close to Abigail. She is a viper. You're jealous. You must send Abigail away. I do not want to. Let's shoot something. The Favorite, directed by Yorgos Lanthimos, director of some not very family-friendly films in the in the <laughs> no, in the past. Not, not so much. Uh, this one, his most accessible film, still a bit risque, a little strange, a little violent, but uh, definitely yeah, his most obscure. accessible. Uh, this one is starring Olivia Coleman, Emma Stone, and Rachel Wise, and Taylor Swift's boyfriend, and Taylor Swift's boyfriend. <laughs> who? Ooh, who is that? Uh, Joe Alwyn. The oh, guy who looks oh. like male version of Taylor Swift. Oh, he's got like Blonde. kind of squinty eyes. Yeah. and Blonde, squinty. Uh, set in the early 18th century, this is the rivalry between two cousins vying to be the favorite of Queen Anne. Mustachio, why don't you give us a fix? Yeah, this this movie, like it's just like a battle um, between these two characters, uh, Rachel Weisz's and and Emma Stone. So they're, they're having it out because each wants the position in the royal court and there's there's a great line in the movie that comes from Lady Marmara, and she says, let's shoot something. And that's kind of like, it's showing you that they go skeet shooting, like they're pheasant shooting. And there's all sorts of stuff with that, where like she has a dry fire shooting at her, uh, at Abigail, and like kind of threatening her. And then there's also uh, a scene where Abigail shoots like a pheasant that gets blood all over Lady Marlborough. <laughs> anyway, the, mm-hmm. it's just like it, like the muskets like shooting like target practice is like suspenseful, but it's not really used all that much. And so what I wanted was um, towards the end of the movie when Lady Marlborough has been like right before she gets exiled, she comes back after being drugged. So Lady Abigail and her have been having it out. Drugged and held at a whorehouse. Yeah, she like held. Yeah, held like she miraculously gets rescued somehow by by prostitutes, yeah. and then by the guy, the the duck the guy who brings his duck everywhere. <laughs> uh, so she comes back and she's like sporting like an eye patch and like she's gonna get revenge. That crazy scar. Yeah, and so what I wanted was for her to sabotage uh, Abigail's like gun so that maybe it would misfire and like you know scar up her face somehow because. When she gets exiled now, it seems like uh, Abigail's had the last laugh, but that's not, you know, really how it happened. In the his history of it, you know, there actually is a last laugh on Lady Sarah's part. So what I wanted was basically for this, this power play to kind of involve the guns more and for that to, you know, kind of lead you into a 
place where you think Abigail, it, she might have won, but it's kind of like a Pyrrhic victory because now she's she's scarred like on her face in 18th century England where that's just like a death sentence. And so now she's not only having to, you know, leg rub Queen Anne for the rest of her days, but she's also... You won, yeah. but now you yeah. have to finger the queen for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah. It's... Be careful what what you wish for. Yeah, there was so much complexity to it, but... I, I When that movie ended, I was like, is this it? Like, does Rachel Wise re- is Rachel Wise really not going to get the final revenge here? Like, it's just going to end with yeah, that's, that's... Emma Stone fingering the queen for the rest of her life? Well, I terrible. knew as a Yorgos Lanthimos movie, I knew I was yeah. going to end with... Was that it? What, wait, what? Yeah. I, I knew that was going to yeah. happen. But... I wanted someone's, something, someone to get horribly gnawed by a duck. Ducks should have had their day. Next up, Black Panther. It is your time. Show me my respect and bow down. You get to decide what kind of king you are going to be. Don't freeze. I never freeze. Black Panther, directed by Ryan Coogler, starring Chadwick Boseman, Michael B. Jordan, Angela Bassett, Lupita Nyong'o, Andy Serkis. Martin Freeman, Denai Guerrera, Michonne on Walking Dead, yeah, Daniel Kaluuya from Get Winston Out, Winston Duke, Winston Duke, who is in Jordan Peele's next movie, yeah. Us. Oh, Sterling K. Brown. It's got Sterling Forrest K. Forrest Whitaker. God damn, this movie was Forrest good. Forrest oh, Whitaker. I want to go watch it right an now. Embarrassment of riches, and let's not forget Sassy Shuri. Latisha <laughs> Wright. This is the story of the King of Wakanda, the newly. Crown King of Wakanda, Black Panther. He has a long-lost cousin who is coming to the throne, and it's going to stir up all kinds of trouble, dynastic trouble, as well as a more uh, social question about whether or not to share the technology of Wakanda with the outside world. Black Panther, we fixed this one, so let's listen to one of our best fixes. Wow, wow. I bet it's great. I have a fix that relates to the timeline of the movie and where it falls within the overall Marvel Cinematic Universe. Awesome. We get our nice little news footage to establish that T'Chaka's murder essentially was a week ago. So that's your cue as the audience to understand that Civil War was a week ago. Even though it came out last summer, it's February. That was a week ago. This is where we are with the timeline. However, everybody is way too happy that T'Challa is coming home and they're going to have the challenge and he's going to be king now for their king to have been murdered a week ago. And Shuri doesn't seem upset at all. And her dad has just been killed in front of the world. And she's cracking jokes, just real excited yeah. for her brother to come Flipping home. Yeah, she's, she's being yeah. very, very funny and not at all phase. Yeah, so that seemed off-putting to me, as I will say. So I really would have preferred if they had thrown some expository dialogue saying, well, the six-month mourning period is over and it's time to name a new king. Okay, one sentence. And now I'm comfortable with everyone's feelings. Because I, I tried to wipe it out and I tried to say, you know, no, in Wakanda, they have much more of an ancestral connection. It's not as sad when someone dies because of that. But no, if you saw Civil War... T'Challa is furious that his dad has been killed. That's the whole reason yep. we even know the Black Panther exists is because he came out to avenge his father's death. 
So that was a meaningful emotional experience and to just be on to the next moment in life. I was just not comfortable with the emotional feelings going on at this ceremony a week after the violent death of the ruler of the country. Okay, next up is Roma. Directed by Alfonso Cuaron, who did Gravity. And what's funny is in, in the movie, when they go to the movie theater, they see a movie called Marooned, which is two astronauts just stuck in space <laughs> orbiting the Earth. <laughs> I was like, hey, look, it's old school Gravity. Set in Mexico City, 1970s. It's all in black and white. It's on Netflix. I got bored 15 minutes into it. Hey. It's on Netflix. There's male full frontal nudity. You it's never get Netflix. that. <laughs> <laughs> For best picture. Best dick picture. <laughs> this, this is breaking boundaries. Uh, a year in the life of a middle class family's maid. Basically, this was Alfonso Curon's love letter to his nanny when he was growing up. I'm going to take this one. Roma was one of those movies that I liked very, very much. And the more I thought about it and what it was, um, I found uh, some problems with it. First of all, I think it's beautifully shot. It's just sumptuous and gorgeous to look at. By the end, I was bawling on a weekend afternoon. Thank you, Roma. Yeah. Oh, yeah? I mean, you, it was dusty. You, the couch was dusty. Go there? It was <laughs> here at the studios. Netflix and ball. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that I want to fix about this movie is that this love letter to Alfonso Cuaron's nanny feels very much like him showing how his middle class family was all the family that this nanny needed. And at the end, I really didn't like that message. The nanny lost everything in this movie. She loses everything she loves and everything she wants. And it's the love of this family that takes care of her that in the end is supposed to be fulfilling. And I really thought that this movie needed to give her something of her own, either leaving the family at the end to go off on her own and pursue something else or the family encouraging some kind of like art kind of like just encouraging something else. I thought if Alfonso Cuaron had given her anything that was just hers to have at the end, I thought it would have made a better movie. <laughs> Last one, A Star is Born. Tell me something good. Do you write songs or anything? I don't sing my own songs. Why? I just don't feel comfortable. Why wouldn't you feel comfortable? Almost every single person has told me they liked the way I sounded, but that they didn't like the way I look. I think you're beautiful. We Fixed A Star Is Born, directed by Bradley Cooper, starring Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga, and raspy voice guy. Sam Elliott. And Sam Elliott. And... Andrew Dice Clay. Andrew Dice Clay, A. You're gonna be a star. What do you mean you're not going to the concert? <laughs> Does he Aww. does does he have like one eye bugging out the wrong way too? Like yes. That, like, <laughs> like when did that happen? Did he? I feel like I never noticed that. That's when why he used to wear younger. those sunglasses. Because yeah. <laughs> he had one eye that bugs out the other way. Okay, that's true. Let's listen in to one of our best fixes for a star is born. So I stalk everywhere that I am. <laughs> Every place you go, there's a bottle hidden. <laughs> 
Not just one. All right. Jackson, Maine over here. (laughs) Anyway, so my first fix, it's not very specific. I apologize. I think it's, you know, pretty common sense that when you become a huge pop star, there are a lot of things that, you know, the industry wants to change about you. They want to change your look. They want to change how you sing or how you act, your persona. Like, they basically want to change you in order to get you big. So in the movie, she just kind of agreed to everything. And I don't think that's how it is in real life. I think her dad would have been involved more in her decision-making, family, and then also Jackson. So in the very beginning, when they were at the uh, grocery store or whatever, when he was buying this piece for her, you know, she mentioned a couple of times, she's like, how do you do it? How do you deal with these people around you all the time? So I thought they were going to backtrack on that for when she got famous, but they never did. Yes, Yes, you're right. (laughs) She said, how do you deal with it? There should have been scenes where she doesn't know how to deal with it, but maybe she remembers the lessons or something like that. That's, That's good. All right, and that was Torpedo. And that was our fixes for the Best Picture nominees. Does anyone have any final thought? Why don't you go ahead, Mustachio, go. Where's where's all the love for Buster Scruggs coming from? What Did you see? Is- I I loved Buster Scruggs. I loved it. I thought it was it was fantastic. It's it it starts off so insanely violent, and then it ends with one of the most like beautiful no, stories that I've ever seen. But- it's just it's the thing is great. It does run <laughs> you through the gamut. Um, I will warn you that as soon as you see Liam Neeson's story start. Be ready, because it is depressing and dark AF. That's what the kids say. They say AF. We do. I think I've, I've started to do it. <laughs> do you have a, a final thought, Lady Wan, on the Oscars this year? Yeah. I For being somebody on a movie podcast, I just got to say, I got like 20 minutes into Roma, and I checked out. I was like, no, this is boring. So I realize that makes me sound like not like a movie nerd. But, but it annoys me because it was beautiful. It was so pretty. I sat there watching water go down a drain for a solid four minutes waiting for the movie to start. And I was enthralled by that. It's the credits. Yeah. The credits are gorgeous. I want that as my screensaver. I would just do nothing but stare at it. Like, it was beautiful. Cinematography win for sure. Like, give that man the award. But I don't, I, I mean, I literally could not maintain paying attention to it. And that's weird to have uh, something be nominated for best picture that I could not watch for 15 minutes. So, yeah, I'm going to say. I wonder if I have a final thought on these Oscars. Possible people that could host? No host. What the hell's Billy Crystal been doing? They just pull out old <laughs> Billy Crystal. Although Billy Crystal, for some reason, the older he gets, the bigger his head looks. <laughs> kind of like his character in Monsters, Inc. <laughs> He's looking more and more like Mike. Yeah. Or like Whoopi Goldberg. What's she doing? Like, weren't those like our our two big big hosts back in the day? Wasn't it either Billy or or Whoopi, I feel like? Oscars needs a host, and I think it should be old Billy. I think you should do it. Did they call? Uh, I turn it down, just like Kevin. I have really... Were you worried about your old tweets? I'm really worried about my my, my old (laughs) tweets. Um I have apologized for those <laughs> on multiple occasions. Um, yeah. But did Kevin Hart apologize for night school? All right. Well, without further ado, I think these Academy Award Best Picture nominees are Screen Fit. 
don't you send us home, Lady Wan? Is that just the I Love Lucy song? Oh, no, that's not Oscars. <laughs> I was just, that was the I Love I'm Lucy I was trying to think of something like old-timey, like old-timey and credits-y. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm right, but I'm also wrong for this situation. Um, <laughs> why don't you send us home, Lady Wan? So you can reach us here at the show by sending an email to screenfixpod at gmail.com or you can tweet us at screenfixpod, follow us on Instagram at screenfixpod, and we're on Facebook too to search for Screenfix Podcast. You can listen to the show on Spotify, Libsyn. Oh my God, they're giving me the wrap-up signal. Um, Google Play, uh, Apple Podcasts, and please like rate, review, subscribe. Thank you. Mom, I love you. My agent. <laughs> <laughs> we also have a Patreon account. If you want to donate to the show, you can be one of our patrons. And we also have dreams of opening a one-screen theater to be the home of podcasting and movie marathons and film festivals and all kinds of really fun stuff. Uh, so, all right. So, why don't we leave everybody with the Oscar dishes that you are bringing to the Oscar party extravaganza? How about you, Lady Juan? What are you bringing to the Oscar party extravaganza? I'm gonna make a tomato salad with Roma tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> That's oh, perfect. Yeah. How about you, Mustachio? What are you bringing to the Oscar party extravaganza? I'm just gonna bring a dirty duck dish and claim that it's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna bring some black clams, man. <laughs> uh, I don't know if anybody's gonna eat those. <laughs> oh, anyway. Ooh. All right. That has been Oscars Extravaganza 2018. Thank you for participating. Mustachio and Lady Wan and this JC saying goodbye. Bye everybody. Chris Rock's brilliantly uncomfortable opening monologue addressing Oscar So White. I'm here at the Academy Awards, otherwise known as the White People's Choice Awards. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> he goes, if you realize if they nominated hosts, I wouldn't even get this job. Y'all be watching Neil Patrick Harris right now. <laughs> <laughs>